I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic Computer. Welcome to the Lure Love Podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. Thanks, Lucy. Tim, we want to hear about your fishing trip to northern Minnesota at Lake of the Woods. Oh, wait. I created a great intro for this. Let, let me cue it up here. Hey, everybody. Tim's been traveling. John, a car? Tim did not drive 15 hours north from Ohio to northern Minnesota. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Lucy. Okay, we'll try this intro. Well, looks like Tim's been traveling. John? A boat? Do you think Tim used a boat to get to Minnesota, or do you think he drove a boat on top of the 40 inches of ice? Okay, good point, good point. Okay, this one is sure to work. Hey, everybody. Tim's been traveling. Excellent. That works, John. Tim did fly to Minnesota at an average airspeed of 518 miles per hour. And it took him two connections to get there. He flew from Dayton to Detroit to Minneapolis and finally to International Falls, Minnesota, where he traveled 55.1 miles by car to get to Bidette, Minnesota. It was an incredible trip. A group of members of the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers were hosted by Riverbend Resort, Al's Goldfish Lure, St. Croix Rods, and the Lake of the Woods Tourism Bureau. We were there to learn about the area, which was so cool, but we also got the chance to test great gear from both Al's Goldfish and St. Croix. Well, before we get to that, I've always wondered how cold it is when you get that far north. I mean, what was it like, Tim? Well, John, let me tell you about it. I was worried about the cold I'd experienced in northern Minnesota. When I got off the plane in International Falls, the sign read, The Icebox of the Nation. That didn't mean they had the largest refrigerator manufacturing plant in the country. The sign was bragging that the average low temperature in January is minus 7 degrees, with an average high of 15 degrees. There are a lot of amenities cities could brag about but they usually aren't things that cause people pain. No city claims that they are the stub toe of the nation, or the hit-your-thumb-with-a-hammer capital, or the first in pokes in the eye. But then again, I guess if you're going to be that cold, you might as well go all in and take full credit for being frigid. You've got to hang your hat on something. Just make sure it's a woolen winter hat. I was in northern Minnesota for Ice Camp 2022 which I wasn't sure was called ice camp because we'd be ice fishing or because the entire town was frozen in a block of ice. It was negative 36 degrees our first day there. But the high for the day was negative one, so that took the edge off. You know how in Arizona they say when it's 110 degrees that it's a dry heat, so it's not that bad? 
In Minnesota, there's no attempt to appease visitors with a statement such as, it's a dry minus 36 degrees, so it's really not that cold. They kind of revel in glacial weather. I drove to church on Sunday, and in the extreme cold, I could hear every nut and bolt in the car strain and pop. Even the navigational GPS voice sounded cold, as if she really didn't want to be in the car at all. But the locals take it all in stride. They strolled into church wearing tennis sneakers and vests, unfazed by the temps that were giving me an Arctic complex. I was afraid if my car broke down, they wouldn't find me for a week. A blue frozen corpse discovered by an elderly woman wearing flip-flops and taking hot dish to a family event in the next town. Looks like his car broke down, don't you know? Poor guy must be from down south, you betcha. I'm from Ohio, which is rarely referred to as down south. But when you live in the most northern section of the contiguous United States, everything is down south. Literally. From the Riverbend Resort where we stayed, we looked across the water at Canada. But the sunrises were gorgeous, and while we didn't see it while we were there, the northern lights are often visible from Bedette. And if you get out on the ice at night, the sky is simply spectacular. With a few dozen layers of clothing and looking like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, I figured I'd quickly acclimate to the big chill. Please, no comments that I look like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man even when I'm not wearing a dozen layers of clothes. It may be true. Just refrain from reminding me. Anyway... I give Minnesotans high marks for rolling with the polar punches and going about their daily lives, including fishing, as if it was 80 degrees. Otherwise, they'd be stuck inside for four months of the year. I also give Delta Airlines credit for preparing me for the cold. To increase your body heat for northern Minnesota, in Minneapolis, Delta has you arrive at gate A16 with your International Falls connection at gate F16 and 23 minutes to get there. This requires a mad dash that ensures you're hot and sweaty. As an added perk, if you make the flight in the allotted 23 minutes, Delta gives you a form to complete that notifies the U.S. Olympic track team of your ability. There's the old joke about two hunters who stayed in a cabin that was so cold, in order to talk to each other, they had to put their words next to the wood stove to thaw them out. I guessed we'd use the microwave probably at a setting of 30 seconds per paragraph. That ought to do it. If I was also microwaving popcorn, I planned to try 4 minutes and 20 seconds, or until the popping ended and I could hear the first few syllables. The drive to Bidette was just more than an hour, including the stop at the statue of Willie Walleye. Unlike International Falls, which prides itself on numbing your extremities, Bidette is famous for Willie, a 5,000-pound, 40-foot-long walleye statue that has been in place since 1959. He's an impressive sight. So impressive that we brave the outdoors to take a few photos. I learned two things from the historical plaque next to Willie. First, his name was chosen by a vote of local residents. And second, taking a picture with Willie has been a favorite tradition for generations of tourists. Had tourists been asked to vote on the walleye statue's name... He would have been called, quick, get back in the car. But in the end, all my worries about the cold didn't matter a bit. The Riverbend Resort ensured we were warm at all times. We had a short walk from our snug cabin to the balmy restaurant and bar. 
After a hot breakfast with steaming coffee, we hopped into a toasty vehicle and drove to our preheated fish house. Easy peasy. To be honest, I didn't feel cold for my entire stay and had brought way too many clothes with me. I even had to remove several layers while in the fish house because it was so warm. The only hardship I faced during my entire visit was that the bar ran out of vermouth and I had to drink my nightly Manhattan without it. Of course I had my Manhattan on the rocks. It was, after all, ice camp. Wow, that sounds amazing. So you weren't really cold there. Not really. The great thing about the resorts at Lake of the Woods is that they really take care of their guests. So guides from Riverbend Resort, they drove us to our ice houses and they got us set up. They checked on us during the day. They will even deliver pizzas for lunch if you want. If you have no ice fishing experience and no ice fishing gear, it's not a problem. You don't have to worry. They have every detail covered. I saw y'all were catching piles and piles of good eating sized walleyes, but I didn't know there were saugers in there too. Did you eat a lot of fish? We ate a ton of fish. One of the cool services provided by Riverbend is that they clean your fish and cook them for you. So we ate like kings. Plus the Riverbend restaurant and bar is fabulous in its own right. They had great food, great people. They have an exceptional chili that we had there one night. And the owners, Paul and Brandy, they joined us for meals they're working there. They actually own a couple other hotels close by um, too. And their tartar sauce has dill in it. I never had that before. That made such a difference. You get this fresh, flaky white fish. They had a great batter. And then that tartar sauce with dill, it was delicious. Excuse me a minute. I was chewing on a piece of paper. I had to do something, man. That sounds so good. And I love it. Making that summertime tartar sauce with the dill in it. That is delicious. That's the way to make it. Tim. While I have all the topographical maps in my memory, our listeners may not be as familiar with Lake of the Woods. Why don't you tell them about the area? Good idea, Lucy. But rather than me, Joe Henry is the real expert. Joe runs the Lake of the Woods Tourism Bureau. He's an all-around great guy. He was fishing with us for the couple days there. So this is Joe telling me about the area. So how you doing, everybody? Hey, Joe Henry, Lake of the Woods Tours. I mean, you know, we're talking, uh, we're talking Lake of the Woods, and, and specifically, I, Lake of the Woods ice fishing right now. But, you know, we uh, we have three areas to Lake of the Woods. Uh, we have the Rainy River, and uh, that's the first part. You know, the Rainy River feeds Lake of the Woods. It uh, comes out of Rainy Lake. It flows 60 miles straight west to the town of Bedette, and then it turns north and flows 12 more miles until it feeds the lake. The Rainy River in its own right is an incredible fishery. It's, uh, it's got walleye, sturgeon, sauger, bass, pike, eel pout. I mean, it's just incredible fishery in its, in its own, uh, own realm. Secondly, we have Big Traverse Bay. Now, Big Traverse Bay isn't a bay at all, in a, in a way. It's really a, a great lake. It's 30 miles long by 25 miles wide. Big open water. The deepest spot is only 38 feet, which means the whole thing is prolific with life. It's like a huge aquarium with millions of walleye, saugers, and everything else in there. The third part of our lake is that northernmost point called the Northwest Angle. That's that little tip of Minnesota that sticks up into Canada. It's the northernmost point of the contiguous United States, and it's where the 14,552 islands of Lake of the Woods begin. You know, we uh, we fish Lake of the Woods really 
all year round. Right now, we have about three feet of ice, and we're ice fishing. We have ice roads that go out 20 miles. We have huge trucks driving on it. Eventually, later in the winter, there'll probably be some semis hauling some riprap for some shorelines on our lake. I mean, it's uh, it's big time up here. We do as much business in the winter as we do the entire open water season, to give you an idea. Last year, we had 2.7 million angling hours on our ice. Wow, that's a lot of water. This old pond hopper probably faint at the side of it. John, there are an estimated 10 million walleye living in the waters of Lake of the Woods. 10 million. And that doesn't count all the other species. Here's Joe talking about the different fish that you're going to find there. You know, they call uh, Lake of the Woods the walleye capital of the world, but, you know, in addition to the good numbers of walleyes, we have the cousin of the walleye called the sager. And, uh, you know, saugers really save the day when the walleyes are finicky. And, you know, they're they're great eating and uh, they just give you a lot of action. You know, what people don't think about is our pike fishery. And, uh, you know, for being in the United States... We have a world-class pike fishery with many, 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 many fish over 40 inches, which is about a 20-pound pike. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a lot of people that uh, uh, fish them with tip-ups through the ice. And, of course, uh, you know, in the, in the open water season, they'll target them, usually in the spring. And then uh, during the summer, we, they really don't get much attention. What ends up happening is unsuspecting walleye anglers will, will hook into a big fish once in a while. Of course, that's going to be a, a pike. Well, no wonder they got 2.7 million angling hours. That's right. There's 4,000 people that live in the county there. And every day there's 4,000 people out on the ice fishing. If you're in a sleeper house, you can fish all night. So the angling hours really add up. But unlike many lakes where the best walleye fishing is at night because walleye have sensitive eyes and they're better hunters in low light, Lake of the Woods has a great day bite. Here's Joe again talking about the day bite. The other interesting thing about Lake of the Woods is that our water is called stained water, meaning the tannins uh, from the plant growth, the bogs and things where the watershed is, the tannins from the plant matter will feed into the lake and make it that light coffee color. Well, I'll tell you what that does. Walleyes, they're low-light feeders. They don't want to spend more energy than they have to in going after their prey. So they'd rather sneak up with them with superior eyesight and uh, get an easy meal. Well, that stained water allows them to do that during the daylight hours, meaning as an angler, we don't have to be at 2 in the morning to catch a walleye. We can catch them all day long. And that's, uh, you know, of course, another big plus. Joe's comments about the stained water are interesting, especially since we talked about the Bass Vision app in our last episode and how stained water can impact how fish see your lure. Excellent point, Lucy. At Lake of the Woods, the favorite lure color is gold because it gives the flash you need to penetrate that stained water. And remember, Al's goldfish are real 22 karat gold. Sound and center important too. John, do you remember when you talked with Jeff and Mandy from Al's Goldfish and Mandy told the story of their sales rep, Tom Peterson, who lives on a diet of brandy and cigars and catches huge pike on Al's Goldfish? Oh, how could I forget? Well, I fished with Tom for an entire day. This guy was an encyclopedia of fishing up north, and he taught me a lot about fishing on Lake of the Woods. I have no idea how many total fish our group caught over the two days, but I'd estimate it could have been from 500 to 1,000 because we kept an eight about 100, and we must have released 10 times that. That is an accurate estimate for a human. Good work, Tim. My superior intelligence must be rubbing off on you. 
we caught walleye, sauger, pike, jumbo perch, and tulabi. But the vast majority of what we caught were these eating size sauger. That's a great thing about Lake of the Woods. You can have a steady day catching saugers all day, but at the same time, a chance to hook a trophy walleye or pike. So what did you learn? I'd like to add your knowledge to my database. First, Al's goldfish slayed the fish. The best lures were gold with some fluorescent color on them. Well, that makes sense because of the stained water. I mean, we just got done talking about how some fish see fluorescent color as bright white, and that would certainly help attract fish in stained water. Absolutely. People caught fish on all the Al's lures, the original goldfish, the Helgi, and the 49er. My favorite by far was the 49er, and that's the one that you'll remember. It has a unique design. It's kind of bent into a V-shape about a third of the way from the head. When you're ice fishing, you let the lure drop until it hits the bottom, and it creates a small cloud in the mud, and then you rip it up and you let it fall back down. This really gets the fish's attention. And when you let that 49er fall, it glides outward in the direction the head is facing. So we were using flashers so we could see the fish. A flasher is a sonar system that provides depth information, as well as indicating the presence of fish or other objects. Flashers display the movement of fish and other objects almost instantaneously. The lure being used can be seen as a mark on the flasher, enabling the angler to position the lure right in front of the fish. And there were times when a fish would just come streaking out of nowhere to investigate that lure. Yeah, I got a quick question. Were you using the owl spoons straight up or were you tipping them with anything? Well, scent's really important because the water is stained. So you want the fish to be able to see, smell, and hear your lure if possible. And remember, the lake is 30 to 35 feet deep for miles and miles in every direction. So when some of the anglers I was with would lower a camera to the bottom, even with a light, at 30 feet with all that ice, it was hard to see much of anything. There's no structure. So the fish could be cruising anywhere, but they tend to hug the bottom because the bottom is really the only form of protection for them. Makes sense. But what about tipping the lures? Well, people use different techniques. Some used a whole minnow hooked either in the tail or behind the dorsal fin. Others used just a minnow head or the minnow tail. And one angler even used two minnows on one lure. But John, I have to tell you a funny story. I was using a minnow tail at one point and I catch a fish and I bring it up and the minnow tail is gone, but there's a whole minnow in the fish's mouth that it just ate. So I took that out, got the tail. (laughs) I put it back down. I bring up the next fish, the tail's missing and there's a whole minnow in its mouth. They were (laughs) eating the exact same types of minnow. So the bait was coming back up from the bottom to be put on my hook and go back down again. (laughs) That is so awesome. The ever practical Tim Tacklebox beat. I love it. I love it. I love it. But what you're telling us is that their enthusiasm for minnows was great. So scent was very important. Yeah, I think it really is. You need that flash. But remember, there's a lot of water to cover here. And so you want to use any edge that you can. And so I also tested some artificial variations of of scent and um, adding on to that 49er lure. So I tore the tail off a Z-Man Finesse Shad Z in watermelon color. And I hooked that to the treble hook of the 49er. So I, I, the piece was about the same size as the minnows we were fishing with. Okay. So why'd you pick the Shad Z? Well, a couple of reasons. 
first, some of these fish were biting so softly that it was really difficult to detect when they hit. We had a lot of minnows taken right off the hook and you didn't even feel it at all. So I thought the elastic might keep me from having to replace my minnows so frequently. Okay, that makes sense. But Tim, Z-Man's finesse shed Z is not scented. That's correct, Lucy. But I've been talking with our friends at Z-Man, and they suggest using Procure Bait Sense with Elastic. And we're going to give a more thorough review of Procure in a future episode. But for now, let me say that Procure Bait Sense, they're made from real whole bait. There's nothing fake and nothing artificial in their sense. I am all for artificial intelligence in computers, but not for artificial bait sense. I approve. Oh, I got mine, and I am chomping at the bit to give them a go. We got some good weather coming, and I'm taking my sense with me. And all the Procure bait sense are UV enhanced, which makes your lure more visible to fish, and they're supercharged with amino acids that boost up that natural flavor of the bait. And they also are designed with that scent to trigger an impulse in a fish's brain to feed. So all of those in combination work together. And I'll tell you, they really believe in their products because they're the only bait scent company that offers a full money back guarantee, including return postage, if you're not satisfied with the product. Wow. Now that is backing up what you sell. Okay. All right. You got me. What scent did you use? Because that's what I'm going to use first. Well, they sent me a whole bunch of them and it's really hard to you know pick which one you want to test out. But what I liked because the water was darker and stained, I used chartreuse glow UV bait fish oil. It's a blend of herring oil and pollock oil and it turns your lure chartreuse. It looks great on the watermelon color elastic. Okay. Did it work? Shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. Woo-hoo! Oh man, I got to get out. The combination of the Al's Goldfish, the 49er, with the Z-Man Elastic, it was a winner. And I also tested out Procure's Mr. Ice Hole. Wait, 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 wait. Let me look at my box here. Oh, oh, I got some of that. So is it just for ice fishing, I guess? I mean, what is Mr. Ice Hole? Well, it's designed specifically for ice fishing. So it's a super gel bait scent, also made from 100% real bait fish. But it's designed so that it won't freeze up no matter how cold the water is. And I was kind of skeptical about it, that would this really stay on your lure for a long time in frigid water? But it is exceptional. So I put some of this gel on both the 49er and the Elastec, and it did not freeze up, and it stayed on there for a long, long time. So I was pretty pumped up about this. So I'm really excited about taking these scents and testing them in different situations. I think the Mr. Ice Hole would also work If the water was warmer, the great thing, John, was I stopped losing minnows. When I would fish this way, that elastic, as you know, lasts all day with the scent. I can't say one way or another, was it more or less effective than the minnows, but it was effective. I was certainly getting fish to hit on it. Well, that sounds great, but I hate to say it, but this is no fair. You getting to do all this fun testing while I'm home waiting for open water. I just got to get out with that minnow oil or that cross scent or... My favorite, that crappy wax stick scent. It comes in a... John, when I saw the crappy wax stick, at first I thought, the crap baby is going to think this is an underarm antiperspirant on that wax stick. So make sure this goes on your bait and not under your arms. You will be tossed out of every bar and restaurant you visit. Too late, Tim. I saw that thing and I said, underarm deodorant? What the heck's this about? Yeah, I didn't get tossed out of a bar. I did get tossed out of the house, you know. 
I made good use of the time and went and dragged some brush down by the edge of the pond for some crappie habitat, you know, and she started feeling a little bad and said, if I'd wash and roll in the snow, some, I could come back. And what about sound? Do else goldfish make much sound? Well, I'm sure you can hear when you rip the 49er off the bottom, but Al's goldfish aren't really designed with any added sound components per se. It would be interesting to see what they could add that would make sound, kind of like the way Glasswater's crappy dueler, the, the metal blades hit each other to create sound. And many Lake of the Woods anglers also use the Rapala Rip and Wraps, which is a, a lipless, deep belly hard bait that you can rip off the bottom and it has BBs inside it. And these are just two or three inches. They're not huge baits, but you can hear it at a great distance and they can really help to attract those fish in because it can be hard for the fish to, to see it. And so with the skinny sides, it flutters down and then you rip it up again. And one of the guys fishing with us was testing these. And what we found was it benefited everybody around in the fish house because he was ripping this up and fish would come in to investigate and they might hit his sometime, but then they were more likely to hit our lure sometime, the Al's goldfish. Okay, now you said the fish were biting pretty softly. Did you learn any tricks to help detect bites? That is a great question. And John, we always talk about lures. After all, we're the Lure Love podcast, but you always have to pair the right gear with the right lure. You can make a good lure totally ineffectual if you're using too heavy gear, or too light a gear. And so I was glad to test some of St. Croix's ice fishing rods. I own a St. Croix spinning rod and a bait casting rod, and I've always really enjoyed them. I think they're a great value. They do seem to be more sensitive than other rods. And I learned why while I was up at Lake of the Woods. St. Croix uses proprietary manufacturing processes that other rod companies do not. In the 1940s, St. Croix looked for an easier way to transport long fishing rods and created the first multi-section bamboo fishing pole. They were also leaders in ultralight rod technology. St. Croix engineers continue to innovate with the introduction of integrated polycurves tooling technology on the mandrel design. Integrated polycurves, or IPC, eliminate transitional points in the rod blank, creating rods with smoother actions, increased strength and greater sensitivity. I'm no engineer, but I guess that means the rods are more sensitive. You are correct on both accounts. You are no engineer, and the St. Croix rods are more sensitive because they have fewer transition points. Did this make a difference when ice fishing? It sure did. Tom Peterson told me not to hold the rod at all, but to balance it on one finger just in front of the reel. I had never heard this before. So your rod and reel need to be well balanced. And I immediately noticed that I could detect bites that I would have missed if I was holding the rod with my entire hand. St. Croix also makes the Legend Black Ice Rods, and these feature a patented built-in strike indicator system. It's a spring bobber attached to the tip of the rod. And the best way to describe it, because I hadn't seen a spring bobber before either, is it's like a very tiny fishing rod attached to the tip of your rod. So at the end of the tiny rod or spring bobber is a tiny pink or orange plastic bead that's incredibly sensitive to bite. So it gives you something to watch. And this allows you to watch the bead and actually see those tiny bites that I know I would miss if I were just looking at the regular rod tip. So you can see bites that you would never feel. So while you need the right lure, you definitely need the right gear to use with the lure. Uh, sounds like you were set up in a prime way. 
Absolutely. And I think that's something that we need to think more about, John. You know, like if you're using a big musky lure, you better have the right rod to be able to toss it and to get it in and set the hook. If you're not using that right combination, you are going to miss fish or you're not going to land fish. And so, you know, both you and I like to do some ultralight fishing. We have the right gear to be able to toss that lighter lure. And to, if you're fishing a Ned rig, what's the rod tip need to be like in that rod so you can feel it? So these are very important considerations. Very important considerations. And it makes it essential that not only do you have thousands of lures, but you need to spend a lot of money on other tackles too. All right. It's absolutely essential. So you're saying that we should start the Rod Love podcast and then the Line Love podcast and then the Real Love podcast? <laughs> Don't give our competitors ideas, but yeah, you could do that. All right. I mean, did you learn any other lore secrets while you were there? I did. I shared a room with Todd Carrere, also known as the fish rep writer. Todd is a great guy, very talented angler. And he came in to Lake of the Woods from Rhode Island, where he lives. He writes some local fishing reports, newspaper columns, as well as stories for On the Water and other magazines. He's very tight with Al's Goldfish. And he helped them invent the Fish Wrap Writer edition of Al's Saltwater Goldfish. Here's Todd telling the story. Uh, so my name is Todd Carrere. And uh, many years ago, I was friends with Mike Lee, who's um, the prior owner of Al's Goldfish Lure Company. And Mike had a focus on not only the freshwater lures, but also developing a line of saltwater lures based on that same concept of the, the classic owls wobble and flutter. So we um, talked with Mike and he came up with a uh, an ounce and a quarter lure that I tried one day about a week before Christmas, four or five years ago, in some very shallow, very cold back bay salt pond waters where there were some small stripers and that where I would never use a spoon that big. And uh, just for the fun of it, I threw it out. It took me one cast to figure it out. And on the second cast, I caught a keeper striped bass, which is uh, at least 28 inches. So that showed me right away that that lure had tremendous potential to catch big fish, especially in pretty adverse conditions. So then um, Jeff and Mandy DeBwine took over the company, and I let them know at a trade show that, unfortunately, I came with the company. (laughs) I'm not sure how they felt about that, but they were very obliging. They really moved into the saltwater market, and together— we developed a particular color pattern with two uh, two black spots, like a bunker or a menhaden, as we call them in the east. Um, so those two little bunker spots on that ounce and a quarter lure with a, a green and white sort of silverish paint, which would be reflective. You know, the other side is bare, so that's very reflective. And then the paint scheme would really mimic a, uh, a pogey or a menhaden. And it also gave it that when tied directly, there's, you know, there's no hardware needed. Take a 20 or a 25-pound fluorocarbon leader, tie it right to the front of the spoon. And when it's retrieved properly, it has that classic L side-to-side action, and it is absolutely phenomenal on uh, on catching stripers. So that we ended up calling the Fish Wrap Writer Edition. And I think over the last two years, I've caught pretty much every species of saltwater fish in New England on that lure. So that striped bass, bluefish, black sea bass, scup. We even caught some fluke, uh, which are on the bottom uh, with the because it has that bucktail, it kind of looks like a little piece of squid. And we also caught some tatag, which notoriously feed on crustaceans like green crabs, but we jigged them with a little bit of green crab on that fish wrap writer edition, Alice Goldfish Lore, um, and it caught tatag, which is really saying something. That's a pretty strong testimony to how effective that lure is in all kinds of water. So the, 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 that one size is available now, and 
uh, in the fishing show, the Rhode Island Saltwater Fishing Show in March, they will be debuting a new three-quarter ounce size, which will be a little easier to cast from a smaller boat or a kayak. The larger size is awesome from the beach for long-distance casting, and the smaller size will be a little more practical for in salt ponds and salt rivers and back bays where you want to be a little more precise, add a little finesse to your cast to get to uh, you know some s- specific structure where a striper might be. Plus, Todd told me he's been catching striped bass in Rhode Island in tidal ponds right throughout the winter. Usually, striped bass leave the area for the winter, and they go down to the Chesapeake where the water's a little bit warmer. Here's Todd talking about fishing on New Year's Day this year. Uh, at an undisclosed location in Rhode Island, we, um, I went out on New Year's Day this past year, which was cold and rainy, and uh, there were only a few fools like me who went fishing at sunrise. And it was a moon tide. There's a lot of water flooding into this particular pond. And I started off with the Alice Goldfish, and I was catching fish up to probably 20 or 22 pounds in four feet of water. They were all over that goldfish. I broke one off at the side of the kayak um, it, with a 20-pound fluorocarbon leader. The leader parted. It wasn't the it wasn't the knot. It was the leader that parted as I reached for this fish. So that shows you how big these fish were. That It's a very unusual occurrence to see fish that big that time of year in very skinny water. But they were drawn to that else. And cast after cast, over the two days, the, the Saturday and Sunday, I landed 17 striped bass, and five of them were keepers, and one was too big to legally keep, which is 35 inches or bigger. So the owls definitely performed, even in the short water, even very cold water in adverse conditions, and that definitely, I can show you some pictures. Stop stop by Rhode Island, we'll show you some pictures. Uh, Those fish came right to that lure on New Year's Day, which is a very big surprise. And as for the one that got away, as they say, I had to pull over into the marsh and cry for a little while because I could not believe I broke a 20-pound leader right at the boat. But anyway, that, that fish wrap rider edition lure has definitely proved itself in all kinds of conditions. I'll drop a link to Todd's website in the show notes so you can see some of his videos and read his articles. Todd and I are already talking about having me come out to visit this summer for some striper action. Shake and bake, baby! I'll drop links to all of the great companies and organizations we've talked about in the show notes, too. Oh, man, that sounds like it'll be an incredible trip. All right, keep it coming. Is is there more you want to share about your ice camp? Well, I'd be remiss not to mention the Igloo Bar. That is a bar they build on the ice each year. It can probably hold 100 people. It even serves food. It has an ATM, and it sells minnows. Oh, you just get some minnows and head on back to your fish house? No, John. They sell minnows to fish with while you're having a beer in the bar. There are holes in the bar floor around the edges of the tables, so you can fish inside the bar. Oh, no way. Now, tell me, do they ever catch anything inside the bar? Well, up on the menu board, they have the records listed from this year. And so far, the records included a 13-inch sauger, a 22-inch walleye, and a 38-inch pike. A 38-inch pike through the ice and into that bar? I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, that's like a 15, 18-pound pike. John, can you name the top 10 songs they play in the Igloo Bar? Ooh, ooh, oh, okay, okay, I'm great at this kind of game. Okay, let's see, let's see. Uh, Cold as Ice by Foreigner from their debut album. You're off to a good start. Thin Ice by Pink Floyd from their double album, The Wall, my favorite. Keep going, my crappy-flavored friend. Skating Away on the Thin Ice of a New Day by Jethro Tull, a famous tune from the indelible War Child CD. 
Uh, let's see. Rivers of Ice by Simple Minds. Oh, 10th Avenue Freeze Out by The Boss, Bruce Springsteen. You are a plethora of useless music knowledge. Fire and Eyes by that great lady, Pat Benatar. Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. There is a funny ice fishing parody of that song, and I will drop a link to it in the show notes. Baby Ice Dog by Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, yeah. Trapped Under the Ice by Metallica. And uh, one more here. Let's see. Oh, Dr. Ice by Angel, that glam rock band from the 70s. Nailed it. You did mail it, John. Those are excellent guesses, and you would expect they would play those songs at the Igloo Bar. But since Todd, the fish rap writer, was there, all they played were Grateful Dead tunes. The guy is a deadhead from way back. His beard even looks a bit like Jerry Garcia's. Hmm. Well, there is that dead song. The music never stopped with the lines, there's mosquitoes on the river, fish are rising up like birds. And also the Grateful Dead song, Big River, with the line, I met her accidentally in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is only a five and a half hour drive from Bidette. But enough about the music. The entire Lake of the Woods experience was fabulous. I can't wait to get back there. It is unlike any place I have ever fished and definitely worth the trip, whether you want to ice fish or fish the open water. We just had a blast. Oh, yeah. Now I want to go to Lake of the Woods. I mean, what a fishing destination. I'm so pumped up just listening to the stories. John, we'll definitely have to get up there together at some point. Maybe we can even go to the Northwest Angle, which is the northernmost point in the entire United States outside of Alaska. And thanks again to the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers, Riverbend Resort, Al's Goldfish Lure, St. Croix Rods, and Lake of the Woods Tourism Bureau for making this once-in-a-lifetime trip possible. Don't forget to tell your friends about the Lore Love podcast and subscribe to our free e-newsletter, which enters you to win our monthly raffle of glasswater angling lures. You can subscribe on our website at www.lorelovepodcast.com. And don't forget about the secret project I asked all you listeners to help me with by April. What secret project? Oh, nothing. Just something I'm working with our listeners on. And don't forget the Lure Love Podcast motto. Why buy one lure? When you can buy a hundred and three. Lure Love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures when you can buy a 